Hello, TBR fans. Welcome to this episode of Talk About Rock. I'm Rob Edwards. You asked for more metal, and you got it. Our host, Jerry Schmidt in Nashville, brings us today's metal guest. Jerry. Yes, we have Don Carr today from Nashville. Nashville's premier Iron Maiden tribute band, Iron Tribe, as well as Noise Cold, who was just signed to Metal Assault Records. We have Don Carr. Don, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me there, Jerry. Robert, happy to be here talking about metal, my favorite things to talk about. Oh, ours too. That's why we started the show. <laughs> great. Hence the name. We can't get enough of it. So I saw you guys uh, perform a couple weekends ago over there at the Cobra. Um, how did that show come about with Noise Cold? How did you get all those bands together? and uh, put this show together. It sounded like um, one of the bands or a couple of the bands um, had not performed live in quite some time. Black yeah, I mean, and maybe even yourself. We, we've done a couple shows, but yeah, the quick thing is really, I think that's our third show since uh, COVID kind of loosened up a little bit and you can get out and play. Um, the, the Black Sky Tribe band that was with us, they're good friends of mine. And I've known Michael and Craig for years. So it's like in different different versions of bands that they've had together. So I'm always happy to play with those guys. So if we, you know, we get a slot, we try to usually rotate through different local bands we're friends with, but I'm always happy to get those dudes with us. And then Pool is a new band, I think based out kind of Murfreesboro way. And I know Raphael, the guitar player a little bit when he was in a, a Metallica tribute band years ago. Um, and he's been having an original band for a while and they've been wanting to get out. And I think it's their first time playing in Nashville. So we thought we would, you know, bring them on and play. And that was one of the Cobra's first shows back after being closed for like a year and a half. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And you know, that was my first time ever at the Cobra. I had never been there before. Yeah. It's, so it's a cool club. There, there's not many metal clubs left in Nashville. You know, some have come, come and gone over the years and that's, that has is coming to be one of the better ones. And you haven't, you know, you haven't seen the old one to gauge it from, but they've made a lot of changes in that room, bigger stage, better PA. So it was pretty cool being back in there and seeing their changes. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my first time there. So you recently got signed to Metal Assault Records and um, you publicized it pretty extensively on Facebook and you were very, very excited about that. What's oh, yeah. it? have the uh, the backing of a record label behind you now what um what kind of things are you going to be able to do with noise cult that that you haven't been able to do without the backing of a record label i think really in general the, the biggest thing is going to be just their help with distribution and publicity you know the um in in the past i've just always kind of done it myself um not me just by myself but like, you know, do, do it yourself kind of deal with uh, my friend Katie from Stickman Records. I don't know if you remember that. We kind of, he started a punk rock label himself. And then like 2007, uh, we were, we were hanging out and we did some shows together. And he's like, hey, man, why don't you come on board Stickman and, you know, help us do this. We'll do, it's like a local label. And it, it got to some notoriety just because you're working together with other bands regionally, but it's not a giant label. And so, but we put out tons of records that way through CD Baby and whatnot, but Really, the to me, this is the strongest record that we've made out of the, I think we've got like six or seven now in the past 14 years. And having such a good record, I really believe that this might be the one that we can pitch to a label to try to get some help. 
and we sent it off to about 25 different labels. I heard back from a few. Uh, I knew Andrew from different, who runs Metal Assault Records. I knew him from different uh, blogs he'd written, he's written and he used to do like, he's in podcasts and he's done interviews and things. So I knew him from that vaguely, but I liked his dedication to metal in general. And like, I saw he was starting up this label a couple of years ago and he really put his heart and soul in it. So not telling him, hey, it's me, remember me from when we met before? I just sent him the stuff and he listened to it and liked it and called me and like, hey, I really like this album. I'd like to talk to you more. And then I kind of refreshed his mind going, remember that time on the metal show we met and you did this that time and I wrote you and he goes, and all of a sudden it dawned on him, oh, you're that dude from, you know. So that was actually a nice tie-in after the fact. I didn't want to say, hey, you know, use it as a favor. But once he realized, you know, liked the stuff already, then, you know, it helped. Okay. Well, that works out well for you. Yeah. And to answer your other question was what I think they could do to us tr truly is going to be getting it out there in, in publicity. Like I, I, I wasn't looking for someone to like pay for my record and make it for us. I really just needed help in people knowing that we exist. You know, I got you. Well, the world's going to know pretty soon. The entire today, actually today. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how does the songwriting process come about? Are you pretty much the ringleader with that? You um, you seem to be um, the guy that's got the uh, the finger on the pulse of noise cult here as far as the the concept and the ideas and the uh, the whole Seraph wizard idea. Um, I was told that that was your doing and, uh, you came clean yeah. messenger about that last week. So, um, how do these, um, concepts come to your head and these songs come together? Yeah. Since, since the beginning, we started in 2003 and we, we started, always wanted to be an original band. So, and it's gone through tons of people in the lineup. Um, but me as the main dude who kind of started it. So in, in the early days, I just always liked writing songs. So I just I was always cranking out riffs, be it good or bad. And and to this day, I'm still, I would say the primary songwriter. And I still even write a bunch of the lyrics just because it's fun for me. And I'm always doing it. It's not that the other guys can't or, and I don't have like veto power to go, no, your stuff isn't good. We're not, we're just using mine. I just happen to go, hey, I've written 35 songs, dude. What do y'all think? <laughs> and then, you know, say, whittle them down and we like a handful of them. But, um, yeah, so for the most part, I, I write a bunch of stuff, but this album came out mainly because um, Patrick Nickel, our drummer, um, longtime friend of the band, used to play in Oblivion Myth years ago and had moved out, moved back to town, joined Iron Tribe. And then once he was doing that, I was like, hey, man, you want to do some noise cult shows? Because our drummer was also in multiple bands and couldn't keep doing all of them. So Patrick came aboard, as you'll hear on the record, and as you've seen, the dude is is the best drummer I've ever played with. He blows my mind with what this this guy can do. You oh, want a thing? No problem. You want some crazy Dave Lombardo over the top stuff? No problem. It's like whatever song that I come up with or Sean, our bass player who writes a lot too, whatever he comes up with, this dude's got something for it. So in just jamming some stuff and learning old songs and Patrick putting his twist on it, I was like, man, it would be a shame not to do songs with this guy, new songs. So the more that he was into the band and decided to stay, I was like, I got an old song that we've never recorded. Do you want to hear it, Patrick? And it just kind of grew from there. And then we just kept feeding them songs. Before we knew it, we had an album. Nice. You know, and, a, and a great one for what we feel, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
Yeah, I got treated to a lot of that stuff a couple Saturdays ago. Um, I want to talk about your relationship with Patrick and Sean. Um, they're also in the Iron Tribe band as well. Um, tell me what uh, what's your friendship and your chemistry is like with those two guys. Obviously, you've known each other for a long time. And um, I, I seem to think that uh, your relationship and your friendship um, is more than just um, bandmates and band members. Is that correct in, in saying that? Yeah, actually, yeah, for 100% accurate. And I would say that just to sidestep back to the uh, previous members, it's funny, we've gone through a bunch of people in the band. And, you know, your, your very first few years, you got people that are just in and out as you're trying to figure out how to play and what kind of band you want to be. But once we got settled in like 2006 or seven, um, we've gone through like maybe four or five drummers and whatnot. And a couple, and Mike's our second singer, although he's been here for 11 years. But it's always been on good terms that people have left. It's always been life stuff. Like, I got a job in New York City, man. I got to move. It's never been like button heads or whatever. And you're kicking people out of the band. So all our changes have some really interesting stories to them. And it's usually work or family or something like that. But uh, Sean joined, um, he came from the Cretan Grimms, was his big punk band that he was in playing in back in around 2000, I guess, seven and eight. And he, our old singer who also played bass at the time, hurt his neck and could no longer play bass. So we had to find somebody. Well, we both said, let's go ask Sean from Cretan Grimms because this dude's like a punk rock John Entwistle. So from knowing us, he's a great, interesting dude. He writes cool stuff. Didn't know if he'd be in the stoner rock vibe as because he came from punk band. But when we got to know him, I realized, oh, man, we both love Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, we both are really into Motorhead. So our, our, we connected like this right away. And he joined about 2008, um, I guess it was. And since then, he's been my like main consistent writing partner, you know, as far as a lot of music stuff. And he writes a lot of stuff by himself as well. And, and he comes up with some really killer Sabbath-y kind of like stoner rock stuff that if you knew him in the past, you might not think from his punk rock days, he'd be busting out this seven minute song, you know, but He's a great dude. I love hanging with him. And like I said, we've been, we've been like this since then. And Patrick um, said to have known him for a long time and him coming back and joining Iron Tribe was, you know, and you know, that whole thing is like 10, 11 people in a party band is how that started. So he was one of three drummers. And then I was just happy to have the dude back in town and that we could even play together again because how much I liked him as a person. So then when we got him to join, you know, Noise Cult, it was like, fantastic drummer fantastic personality fun dude to be around he and i have a lot of like uh, same thought patterns of how to approach things and how to construct things you know so yeah personality wise it's like they're good friends not just bandmates yeah i got to talk to him a little bit after the show there at the cobra and he is a super nice guy um I was hoping that uh, maybe he would come on the show one of these days and talk with us as well. Uh, I tried to get him out here tonight. Actually, I was going to call you guys and say, Hey, can I, can I bring Patrick out? But he's still stuck at work. But so he could get off for tomorrow. What's funny is like, you know, long hair, he's a crazy drummer. You know, the dude's a pharmacist. <laughs> you know, he like, well, you know, that's, like, he's got a grown up job. Yeah. We all got We all got to work our day jobs. Right. I mean, we all got to do that for now. We got to do that for now. All right. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's a, another thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, I was talking to Mike Liffick at the show, 
And he says that he's into real estate and that he has several rental properties. So um, I, uh, I find that uh, a very interesting dynamic that you guys are all professionals by day and metal musicians by night. Yeah, I'm the only one that's got a, I have a real job, but it would almost be kind of like a funny job compared to those dudes. They have like adult jobs, you know? <laughs> well, you get, you get to play the metal music, you know, so that's what's, that's what's awesome. You know, let's take a, let's take a quick pause here and check out uh, some Iron Tribe. They're covering uh, Iron Maiden's Wrath Child. about rock with Don Carr. Hi, Don. Well, since uh, on, fellas. Rob just played that Iron Tribe video, let's talk about the big show on Saturday. You got going on at the Hard Rock with Judas Priest cover band, Sad Wings. Um, of course, uh, we both have friends in, in that band as well. In fact, um, Sad Wings, I understand, rehearses at your house on Sunday afternoons. Yeah. 
Oh, and they're here last night. Everybody wants to play at my house. It's just like, <laughs> I couldn't get away from the metal if I wanted to, you know? You got the nice setup there going on. You got a big, nice, you know, setup in the garage or the basement or. Yeah, it's basically a garage. It's just that, you know, for whatever reason, they everybody likes to come over to my house, bring, they bring their stuff over, plug in and then. Are they bringing the beer though? <laughs> yes, actually, you know. I okay, have, well then it's okay, right? <laughs> no beer, just so you know, for the show. And Jerry, if you come on Saturday, We'll have some trooper beer at the show. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Drinking, drinking my trooper beer and putting it back here. Well, you got to have a, a tie in somehow. And, and why not uh, with trooper beer, right? Exactly, man. It's like, you know, but well, I, I say that only because it's like uh, the hard rock is actually nice enough to, to, to order some just for these shows. I mean, they may normally, I don't know if they normally carry it, but they, the first time we played there and where you played that clip, and then this Saturday, they've ordered cases of trooper beer to, to sell. So, you know. That's great. I'm sure it would sell out. Um, this, this show was supposed to happen the night before the Judas Priest show last month in late October, and you guys postponed it or canceled it. Um, why did you guys decide to, again, bring it back here and, and do it now this weekend on Saturday? Well, yeah, the original premise, much like the video that you had shown, that was from 2019. And that was set up, I had set that show up as the night before Maiden. And that's how the whole Iron Tribe thing started, is we started doing it in 2013. It was a fan club party at the Rutledge. And basically a bunch of musicians that me and Keith Smith, the other guitar player, were friends with, just got them together. And we did Maiden covers and Priest covers and all this stuff. It was a general cover band. And people really liked it. Fast forward to Book of Souls show, um, Maiden coming to town. We thought, hey, let's do it again. That was fun. And this time we'll do nothing but Maiden tunes. So we got a bunch of people together, like 12 or 13 people in this band. And basically it's like everybody rotates in every few songs, except for Keith and I, you know, we're selfish. So we play everything. And uh, um, that went really well again. So like, why don't you keep playing? So then the band just stayed together. 2019, we did the, the you know, night before Maiden again and got it at the Hard Rock and Sad Wings was with us. And as you know, from that clip um, there, that we should, what you have from the Hard Rock, um, some of the crew in the band from Maiden itself actually came out to the show, which was, you know, blowing my mind that they would be nice enough to come out and hang and play. That was a very incredible night. I was there. Yeah. So, you know, so, and then and, yeah. um, Richie Faulkner came out to play with Sad Wings and all this stuff. So it was, it was right. a mind blowing yeah. experience. So we thought, okay, well, you know, let's do it for Priest. Let's do the night before Priest. And then, as sadly as we all know, literally just a few days before that, Richie has that horrific heart, you know, thing on stage where his heart, he had like a, an aneurysm basically in his chest and his heart ruptured. So we just felt out of respect that it would be disingenuous for us to like do a show right after it. We felt like, you know, we don't want people to think we're capitalizing on our, you know, it's just something weird. But we all just like, let's just step back and think about, do we want to do this show? We really want to play it, but let's, you know, out of respect, let's hold off on this. So we talked to the Hard Rock and they were cool about it. They understood. And I'm like, well, what if we, let's think about, let me talk with everybody. Maybe we can just do a show to celebrate the music like a couple weeks down the road. So it's not some sort of like tying to this tragedy. If does that make sense? To right. Me? Yeah. Yeah, so in that, they all liked it and they gave us the first weekend that they, they had open you know, a couple of weeks later. So that's how this show came about on that date. Well, it's amazing that we as fans don't really know Richie Faulkner personally, but 
we can empathize with um, with his plight. And um, because we're such big fans, they almost become friends to us and, and larger than life and um, and people that we associate with. Um, so um, I, I could see where you're coming from, that um, we all felt pretty bad about it being um, Judas Priest fans, that uh, that Richie, um, Richie almost died that night from what I understand. So um, a lot of people don't recover from from what happened up on that stage. So it's a pretty amazing story. No, you know, and, and again, was like I said, joking before, Patrick being a pharmacist, he, he knew exactly what happened. He, he was telling us the next day of what went on. He goes, man, he is like super incredibly lucky that they were playing a short show. They're only like so many miles from basically a, a Heart Institute hospital. So many things worked out in his favor that he was able to get right from the show and literally right to the operating table to say most people would not survive that uh, that ordeal. So pretty uh, pretty blessed event that he was able to get to the hospital after something. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, can we expect any special surprises like we had a couple of years ago in 2000? Not of that magnitude. I, I will say that now, unfortunately, I, I wish that would be the case. You know, at one time, if you know, had the thing with Richie not happen, all this stuff, you know, we always had our fingers crossed that maybe they would pop out because they would be in town. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, they won't be there. But, but oh, yeah, we yeah. will try to make up for it in our magnitude of metal in the show. Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah. 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 You guys did have someone from Maiden step in one time and play too, right? The drummer yeah, from Maiden played with you guys. Yeah. The, um, so that hard rock show in 2019, uh, some of the band came out. Um, and then in that clip, I think the one you played was uh, the lighting director had actually got up there and played, played guitar. At one point, uh, Nico's drum tech got up and did two minutes of midnight with us. And then towards the end of the show, um, Charlie is the, the drum tech. He got up and said, hey, man, he goes, Nico wants to play a song with you all. We're like, and we were done. We literally had no more song. We were like finishing up saying goodnight for the night. And Charlie goes, he wants to play a song. I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah, that's incredible. What, what is he going to play? He goes, I don't know, but pick something real quick. I'm like, well, we just played our whole set. We played everything we knew. And also Nico comes up. He's like, Don, like, what do you want to play? And I'm like, whatever you want, man. So he's jokingly <laughs> started throwing out like, you know, crazy songs like Alexander the Great. I'm like, oh, we don't know that one. <laughs> Just oh, like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, play the Vickers. He goes, excellent. And just like hits it and counts off and away we go. And then yeah. nice enough to stay to do run to the hills. So, I mean, it was a, it was a mind blowing experience to look, you know, over my left shoulder and there's, you know, Nick and McBrain playing. Oh yeah. It was a, uh, a night that I'll never forget. That's for sure. I got to uh, talk with Steve Harris ever so briefly. And, um, I've always been a big fan of his. So that was quite the thrill for um, a kid that grew up loving Iron Maiden starting at the age of 13 and, and meeting one of my heroes from, from back in the day. So I'll tell you what's funny, man. You want to talk about like nerves or intimidating, try playing, you know, Phantom of the Opera in front of the dude that wrote it. You know, it's yeah. like, and we're looking out there playing this song and it's like oh man i don't want to tank this thing and have this dude you know hate me and especially for the bass players so sean who played on that song told me afterwards he just laughed and he goes man it is so crazy to be playing these licks and then looking up and seeing him just watching you and going don't let me f this song up <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, we're uh, going to be talking to your um, your other guitarist from Iron Tribe next week, I think, with Oblivion Myth. So we're excited to talk to Keith next week about uh, his original music and his original band. Um, just wanted to pass that word on to um, the talking about rock listeners and viewers. It's a fantastic record. I mean, the, the new one it is is killer. I mean, it's like Keith is it's so much fun to play with this dude. I've known him for like 15 years and we've been booking shows forever. So to get the Iron Tribe thing together with him just to, you know, throw leads back and forth is a blast. But yeah, his, his Oblivion Myth is, a, is an awesome band. Really killer power metal stuff. If you like that, it's. You know, oh, yeah, we, we definitely like that here. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yep. Let's take a quick pause and get out our trooper beers and let's check out this next video. Here we got uh, from Iron Tribe uh, playing uh, covering Iron Maiden's The Trooper.
Oh, we're back. We're talking about rock. So, hey, fellas, thanks for having me back. Don Carr from Iron Tribe and Noise Cult. A couple of Nashville bands here, and Iron Tribe is playing out at the Hard Rock Cafe this Saturday. And um, I know you do some work with the band Iron Maiden. I don't know how much you can talk about your involvement with, with the band when you're on tour. Um, maybe you can... Um, share a, a story or two um without um, maybe going into too much detail but sure. i think um a lot of us in the the rock circles in nashville know what you do for them and um maybe you can um share some things with our audience yeah so what i do for a living is i i direct videos so i do be at tv shows or or you know concerts and all that kind of stuff um and the long story short is I filled in for a friend um, on the Book of Souls tour and I went and did the live video that bands will take basically like the IMAG screens that you see when you go to a concert, the roll-ins and all the camera changes and whatnot. So I had filled in and done a couple of shows on Book of Souls, uh, which to me was mind blowing. I don't normally tour for a living. So to go out for just a few days and do some shows at Maiden was like, you know, my God, I'm touring with Iron Maiden. It's the craziest thing ever. You know, so I came home after that and thought, man, that's the end of that. That was fantastic. And then fast forward to the next summer, 2019, and they had some changes and they needed to get another video director. So um, the production manager called me and remembered me from filling in and said, hey, would you like to interview for this job? I know you don't really tour, but would you like to try it? You know, see whatever. So I did an interview process and went through it for like a handful of phone calls and whatnot and eventually got the job. So uh so currently I'm their video director for their live stuff. So I go on tour with them and then just kind of set up the camera gear with a team that we have and then just shoot all that. And then whatever else they need, they have some people on staff that are video editors and that shoot behind the scenes things and I'll help them and edit some stuff together. But it is a weird mind blowing experience to like, I, I believe it and then get to work with them, but it's a job. So you can't go out as, as super fan and, you know, it literally is. Right, right. And it's a hard job. I will say touring is a ass kicker more than I ever would have imagined, you know. So you've been all over the world with those guys then? I did. The first year I was in like 27 countries. Um, it was all Europe. And then the next tour in 2019, sorry, so 2018, was the first one, 2019 was all South America and the United States. Like, you know, when we played here and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was a bunch. And then um, whatever they've got in store for us next year, which all I know about is what's on the web page now, whatever the odd 20 shows or whatever. Um, to finish Legacy the Beast tour that was canceled by COVID, I know we're going to go do that. And I would assume and hope that we would, you know, the new album just came out. So I would imagine there's probably going to be a tour for that right around the corner. Well, I'll certainly be at the Nashville date. Without a doubt, I never miss those guys. Yeah, I never did either. It's, it's funny. It's like my my mom used to joke with me because I started going to see Maiden in the early '80s, um, and as you get older, you know, you're you're driving five hours to see a show, and you're spending all this money for tickets and t-shirts and all this stuff. And and I, I probably had seen Maiden a twenty odd times over the years since the early '80s before I got the job and traveled. So my mom laughs about how much money I had invested into the band. She's well, now they're paying you to go with them. 
you know, it became this funny kind of thing. I'm like, see, it all paid off. All yeah, paid right. Paid off. Going to see Maiden, learning their songs. It's like, and and they didn't know any of that when I joined because I didn't, again, didn't approach as a fan. It's like, I have to be around professional musicians all the time and I'm not their buddy and stuff. I'm their employee or whatever. So you, right. So, um, yeah, so I never, they never knew that I knew all the songs and like the back of my hand and could play them and all this sort of thing until a little bit later. And then it became like a joke of like going, you know, you, you know, all these songs, like the guitar text and stuff were like, man, you can play all this stuff. It's like, yeah, most of it, you know? <laughs> so, and that's, that's really became the thing of. They're um, probably all like, uh Oh, he's going to be looking for our job next. Right. <laughs> Their job is pretty, my job is difficult, but the, being a guitar tech would not, yeah, would be a very difficult job, you know, scarier than mine for sure. But, um, but that, I mean, that's essentially how the friendship that I made with all those guys, that's, that's kind of what led to the, them coming to the hard rock. You know, it's like, I didn't announce it. It was kind of a funny story. Um, they heard about it. Some people on the crew were like, Hey, what's this thing about you playing in Nashville on our day off when you get there? I'm like, and you know, they found some clips of me playing in my band and doing Maiden covers on YouTube. I said, yeah, that's me. I said, well, I, I play in this band. We just do it for fun. It's a fan club party. And then it just grew from there. And then the next thing I know, it had spread through the Hawk crew. And most of them came out. And then the last thing our production manager was joking with me when we were leaving for the day off, they go, how do you feel about playing in front of the band? I'm like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> and then it's like, and then she goes, Oh, nothing, nothing. And just kind of laughed and left it at that. And I was like, uh Oh, so they all know. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, wow. You know, yeah. Now they're going to come to and, and watch. Me well, that, that's so cool that they support you covering their music in iron tribe. Yeah. I didn't know if they would be mad about it or if they would think, what is this idiot doing? But they, like I said, they're, they're generally really nice people. I will say this in all my encounters with them, you know, and you see them every day and at sometimes they'll just kind of sit down and talk with you. They're really cool. So it's, it's always scary to meet your heroes. They always say, but in this case, like Steve is super cool. I mean, Nico is, is he's so friendly and nice. It's like, you just want to go up and give the dude a hug. It's he's funny. He's always coming in joking, you know, it's like that. It's like, he's probably the one I have to work with the most. Cause I have to put the cameras around his drum kit. So I'm, I'm discussing things with him more than the other ones. But everyone's like, is really cool. The crew, you know, it's been a life changing experience. I could say that for someone who's never toured to go do that for a couple of years is, you know, mind blowing. So have you flown on the Iron Maiden tour plane? Not yet. They didn't have, they just stopped using the plane when I came on. So it was all buses for me. Um, and I have no idea if they're going to do the plane again or not. It's, I, I don't know. Um, uh, I haven't heard one way or the other. I thought that when they ramped up all the dates, like, you know, the, for the shows that got canceled, you know, originally we were going to go to Australia and Japan and Israel and pretty long jumps. And I thought, Ooh, maybe this will be the year they get the plane. But then yeah. you know, all that went away and none of those dates have come back yet. So I don't know what's, what's in store. Hopefully. Yeah. So um, when do you go back out on the road with, with Iron Maiden again? Uh, it's supposed to be sometime in, in late May, I would imagine. Usually we have to go um, for production rehearsals and things like that. Uh, and I believe the sh first show is um, June 4th. So if it's, if it's June 4th or something like that, then we would be there very end of May.
beginning of June, you know, just get all the gear ready. The band wouldn't be there, but we'd have to be there to set things up and all that good stuff. You know, right. I haven't seen that gear in like two years. I'm hoping that it works when I turn it back on, you know? Well, I know everybody's going to be a little rusty, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, gear or otherwise. So if uh, one of those guitarists got sick one night and they ask you to step in and, and play guitar for a show or shows, would, would you be ready to go? Um, they see yeah. the enough material. I don't, yeah, I don't think, I don't think I would be the first choice, but, uh, would I do it? No. Yeah. 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 It was funny. The, the text, um, a lot of times will that, you know, they get to check the guitars and stuff during the day and do sound checks themselves. So I, you know, I think if there's any hope, maybe I get to play with those dudes one day. Cause now they know I play and they joke. They're like, Hey, you ought to come out and check some gear with us. And I'm like, anytime you want to hand me Adrian Smith's guitar to help you sound check, I'm in dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're probably, they're probably looking at you saying, I don't know. So nah, you're not, you're not touching anything. Right. Right. So <laughs> they have such a, they have such a large catalog of songs. Is there certain albums that really stand out to you or certain songs that really stand out to you? Yeah. You know, um, I have to say uh, I'm partial to the early stuff just because that's what, you know, what I heard when I was a kid and when it all started. I mean, I love even on the new album, there's stuff that I love. I mean, I love the new Sinjetsu song, I think, and it's Yannick wrote it. And it, to me, it's like, sounds like classic Iron Maiden. It's, it's a killer track. Um, I would say my favorite album of all time is Killers just because of my connection to it as a kid. Mm -hmm. And the great story is I went to a guitar, I mean, a record store, and the only thing I knew was the first album had come out and I saw the picture and I, I think I had heard running free maybe. And I went to get on cassette, bought it, ran home, popped it in halfway through Prowler. The tape just stopped, sounded all warbly and sounded oh, like crap. Yep. So I'm all bummed out as a little kid. And at this point it was 81 and I was 13. So I run back to the, to the record store. I'm like, man, my tape, you know, I'm crying a little kid. My tape, hey, give me another one. Dude's like, and all I remember is they didn't have another one of those. He goes, I don't have any more of those, but I've got this one. It's the new one just came out. Just take this one instead. And it was killer. So like, all right. So I take it home and put it in and mind blown. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. You know? So it's like, and from that moment on, that is still one of my all time favorite albums. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and then I just love it as it went on. You know, I think my favorite Bruce album is peace of mind. So it's like, it's that time frame when most people our age are still, you know, pulling into the, the early stuff that you, we're ingrained with but yeah i, I totally yeah, yeah i totally agree i remember i remember listening to running free at first and like this is great and then uh obviously number of the beast broke but yeah i would have to say yeah. peace of mind is is my favorite album as well from them you know yeah. It, was, yeah. it was really cool to see them do a follow-up to to number the beast and a lot of times you know bands can't can't step up and and take that pressure and come back with such a great album the, the second time you know but i think they really yeah. did and that's that's the album that really stands out to me yeah. I mean, if you look what they what they achieved back in the early days, I mean, those albums in, in a row from Killers to Number of the Beast to Peace of Mind, The Power Slave. I mean, it's like it's just hammering home run after home run. And you realize yeah. you know, we, we lived it because we we're all back there. I, I remember going to those shows, Peace of Mind and Power Slave. And it's like they were massive events to go to something like that. I mean, yeah. Still, yeah, I think like Iron, Iron Maiden has such a strong you know, loyal following. It's, 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 it's different concert for Iron Maiden. You know what I mean? It's right. just because they're following. It's, it's, it's not like a regular concert. 
they have, they have such a huge following and, and such loyal fans and it's, it's awesome. It's still going on. Yeah. To me, it's like they've transcended to another level. You know how the Rolling Stones have transcended from being a band to being this legendary act that plays stadiums. It's like, it blew my mind to go see Iron Maiden in South America. You know, we've all seen the video clips of it, but to go, to go do that, like when we played rock in Rio, it's like, it's a hundred thousand people there to see them. Right. I mean, that's just amazing to me. And yeah. it's not all, it's not just people our age. There's a, there's tons of like 12 year old kids out there with their yep. parents. Yeah. Them. I was so happy to uh, take my son to legacy, the beast when they came here a couple, you know, was it last year or something like that. That was his first Iron Maiden show. And that was, that was just great. I wasn't, I wasn't really sure to expect to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you said, you don't want to see, you know, you know, see your legends not be able to perform anymore, but they, they, they were great. They killed it. It sounded great. Yeah. I mean, Bruce sounds fantastic, man. Even after like the, the surgery he had with his, you know, his throat cancer in 2018 and whatnot, I'm um, 16. Um, I mean, he sounds killer on this, on the legacy tour, you know, it, it, again, you said there these dudes aren't young either to see guys that are in their 60s playing like this and running around it's like that stage show is the same as it was in 85 as far as steve is oh yeah that dude's running around like he's 20 i couldn't do that you know yeah i i found that pretty amazing too that they were back and forth across the stage from left to right back to the left again yeah all over the place yeah Bruce is climbing that stage, you know, all over it, running around blindly. And I said, I, I, I've walked the top of that thing. And it's very narrow and seems rickety. I would not be. So to see him do that and sing, I mean, really, it's like, I, I love those dudes and had a tremendous amount of respect from them from a fan point. But seeing the behind the scenes of the work that goes into what they do, it, it's even more, you know, grown yeah he's he's a great showman and a great front man he, he always has been for them you know and then just the just the um just the amazing lyrics that steve harris has come up with through the years of all the songs it's just you know telling these stories and and what he comes up with on each album the concepts and and all the things it's it's just pretty mind-blowing sometimes some of the stuff yeah. i have to say i don't know how bruce remembers all these i'll be curious to see when, when we do the new record, you know, what, what if whatever songs they may pick from it and whatnot, like the, they read like a book, you know, you try to sing Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which, you know, we do at the Iron Tribe shows and Steve, our singer always laughs. He's like, it's not like a verse and chorus kind of song. It's not like you're doing four lines and you're singing a, a chorus. It's like reading a book. Right, know? right. Harris writes these novels, basically. And it's like, not everything rhymes. It's not easy to remember all this stuff. So it's, it's impressive that Bruce, you know, does all this stuff and hammers it night after night and singles. And he doesn't use the teleprompter. His credit, man, there is no teleprompter out there. Yeah, the music has really progressed and the songwriting has really progressed from, you know, like Murders in the Room Org and stuff like that and Prowler and stuff. And then to the, to the things now, like you said, you know, just great. Yeah, it's these epic songs they could almost border on being like a soundtrack to a movie or something you know what i'm saying they're, they're so like right, right. epic in, in their structure very yeah. literary yeah yeah and it's, now, uh, I, I just have to say this too it's like i was really happy to see adrian smith who's one of my favorite writers in the band that he's like contributed like four or five songs to this album which he normally does contribute a bunch but he, he did a bunch on this this one and they're good they're good it's oh that's great 
So uh, I, I believe Steve Libby actually um, comes out uh, with a scroll during one of your songs during an Iron Tribe performance. And I think he um, he's singing the lyrics off the scroll, correct? He did for the first time, and again, to the Rhyme Age Mariner. It's like we joke about it. Like, <laughs> How am I going to do this, man? Because we don't have a teleprompter. Obviously, we're just a little band, so it's a can't afford that. So, um, you know, they got to memorize that. Him and get, Christian. They get out the little iPad on the stand there. <laughs> we, we thought about that, and I'm like, no, nah, but that looks crappy. There's yeah, that does. The scroll is perfect. The scroll is perfect. So, and, yeah. and it was funny. It wasn't the whole thing. I, I have noticed a trick with singers, because a lot of them have said this, going, look, I don't need the whole line. Sometimes I just need the first word or two of, a, of the sentence, you know, so I can go, that's right. You know, it's this, this, and yeah. this. Yeah, it puts us on the right track. Yeah, we just need like one or one or two words sometimes to it, get, it, well, get it. I think, it was, yeah, he just had a couple of cues, but it made a good prop. Yeah, you know, oh, it did. Yeah, it was excellent. With this old ancient scroll, so, you know. Yeah, that was very cool. Great idea. Yeah. You guys are always thinking out of the box. And um, it's kind of cool that you guys use that as a prop as well as um, something that Steve could use to um, to trigger his memory with the lyrics. So um, I bought tickets today at the uh, the T-Pack for Bruce Dickinson's spoken word tour. Uh, I wanted to get your take on that, Don, and how you felt about um, Bruce um, coming out to the stage and um, not singing or performing music and um, just uh, telling stories in front of the audience on this tour coming up. Um, I believe the show's in January here at TPAC. Yeah. I, I, I too bought tickets. Well, Patrick went out and got tickets. So a bunch of us from the band are going Patrick, me, Christian, Wendy, a bunch of us. Oh, okay. Are, yeah. We're, so we will see you there. But, Sounds um, good. <laughs> you know, I've always liked the spoken word stuff. I'm a, I've always loved Henry Rollins when he was doing the Black Flag stuff and his Rollins band stuff. And then he's been doing spoken words since the late 80s. So I've gone to a bunch of his and I just thought it was an interesting thing to see like, you know, musicians have these stories about either on the road or just their perspective of stuff. And I saw Scott Ian do one. So when Bruce did it last year, I thought, man, this is really, this will be really killer, man, to, to, of someone of his level of performing with what's, what stories is he going to tell? And I guess originally it started from him going through his book and talking about stories of the book is my understanding. And then it just kind of grew from there. He did a couple of those. It went real well. And then, you know, now he's got a whole tour. But I, I don't have any tidbits or secrets that I know of from the show because I don't know very much about it except for what I've seen. I know he's has some video stuff that he talks about. And he, he's been known to bust out some acapella stuff. Like he did, he oh, okay. did some of the great at one show do you expect them to be climbing platforms and risers at this show or i, I don't see him running around i see him just kind of like walking around and and you know telling us some yeah there, there's a little little bit of video they, they were showing up around on the internet about it and stuff the very theatrical looking you know very it's like it's a storytelling realm definitely yeah yeah i mean i can't wait to see it i'm, I'm you know i'll be just yeah It'll be something different and unusual yeah. to see Bruce um, in a different perspective than, than I normally see him on the stage. Yeah. It's a long tour. I was surprised when tickets won. So he's, it's like a, a few months long. So I hope he's got a lot of stories. Well, I'm sure it'll end up right before um, 
you guys go back out on the road again in May with Iron Maiden. So um, we're going to see you Saturday night with Iron Tribe, the um, Nashville's premier Iron Maiden tribute band, along with Sad Wings covering the music of Judas Priest. Saturday night at the Hard Rock Cafe. Don, what time's that show kick off? Uh, that show will start at eight. So the good thing about it being at the Hard Rock with it being a restaurant is that it changes how some of the normal club dynamics go. So you can, it's all ages in the sense of you guys can bring your kids because it's a restaurant. So it's not like a bar and we're upstairs in a performance room. So that part of it's cool. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much the doors open at seven and sad wings will kick it off right at eight. And I think we're on little, like nine ish, a little bit after nine. They're doing over, they're doing a little over an hour. So I guess we're like probably nine fifteen. How about you guys? You usually play a long time. At, at least when I saw you at Bowie's the last time out, you guys, man, I, I ended up leaving at like one AM and you guys were still on the stage. Um, yeah, we're gluttons for punishment, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs because we love them, you know. It's like, and it's just fun to play. So yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's an endurance test, really. But but we, I will say, we usually end up doing roughly about an hour and forty-five minutes, and we split it into like two sets, and that's mainly because of the amount of people in the band. So at this point, I think there's still nine members. A couple people had to leave, just you know, jobs and whatnot. Um, but we have two drummers. So to make it simple, it's like we just divide the set in half. So I usually work out the logistics of the set list and we rotate, you know, people in every few songs. But drummers get up and play. So it's 10 songs for Patrick and 10 songs for, for Tom. So it's 20 songs for this Saturday and roughly probably a good hour, at least an hour and a half and 45. Minutes. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good sized show right there. 20 songs. And we change the songs up every show. So, so, um, so what new ones have you um, interjected into this show for Saturday night? You guys sometimes uh, do some stuff that you haven't done in a while that you've been rehearsing and working hard on up until the uh, the night of the show. Yeah, we we've got um, not giving all the surprises away. We've got a couple couple different old ones that we haven't played in a while coming back um, since we talked about the one with with Steve. Uh, we are bringing Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner back. It's like one of our friends, oh, she loves it, our friend Gina. It's one of her favorite songs. So we learned it for her a couple years ago. So, all right, we're going to put it in all 15 minutes of it, you know, test my brain power. Um, and it went well. People loved it, and uh, it was fun to play. So we're going to bring that one back, and she's coming down to see that. So it's kind of a request thing for her. Um, and then just a couple other little odd bits and ends and whatnot. Um Sun and Steel, which I don't even think Iron Maiden's ever played live. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, so a couple things like that. I'll give you those those ones without spilling the beans. Well, we'll be out there in, uh, in full throat on Saturday night to support you. I'm sure it's going to be a packed house. Um, just looking at the, uh, the Facebook, Facebook event page, there seems to be a lot of people signed up already amongst the rock circles here in Nashville. So um, I'm sure um, I'm sure we're gonna be um, upping the irons on Saturday and uh, being active participants in this show. So I'm certainly looking forward to it as is everybody else here in Nashville. So we will see you Saturday night, Don. That sounds great, man. Looking forward to it. 
I appreciate you uh, you guys having me out here to talk about Noise Cult and the uh, Iron Tribe and anything else metal. Anything, anytime you want me to come back and talk about metal, I'm in. Yeah, so did we did we want to uh, let the folks check out your uh, Noise Cult video as well here that we had to play? Yeah, so I Do you want to tell we're... us a little bit about the Swarm of Electric Death? Yeah, so this one came off our last record that's out called um, Burial Hymns. And it was a video that I had done at a place that I had worked. That's where we shot it. So they were nice to let me come in there for the day and, and do it. Uh, but this is an older song that I wrote quite a few years ago. And then we just kind of revamped it when Mike joined the band. So it's the it's with Mike singing and Sean and me had pieced it together years in advance. Excellent. Okay. Well, then we'll leave you folks with, with this, this next video that we'll show. Thank you so much for joining us now. We really appreciate it. All right, fellas. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, it was great talking with you. All right, have, have a great night. Electric death.